0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dear Asian Americans. This is your host, Jerry Wan. Thanks for tuning in today. We are in the middle of Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, highlighting all the amazing stories and elevating those in the community who are doing amazing things. Today, my conversation is with Kevin Yuen, who is a higher education professional and also pursuing his PhD at the same time. And on this Thursday, we're going to be sharing a message to our students on a panel with two of my good friends One is a career advisor at a college, and the other one is a manager at a technology company in the HR function. So come join us noon uh, Pacific time on Thursday. On May 7th, it'll be on Zoom and on Facebook page at The Asian Americans. And if you're listening to this after the fact, just come back to our Facebook page and you'll see the recording there. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope you're staying safe and healthy. Here now is my conversation with Kevin. Welcome to Dear Asian Americans. I am your host, Jerry Wan. Hope you're staying safe. Hope you are staying healthy and hope you're staying indoors wherever you are. And during these challenging times, I am so lucky to have so many conversations with amazing Asian Americans in our community who are doing what they can in however way, shape, or form to make sure that we get through these challenging times together. Also, taking the time to celebrate and support all the things that we have accomplished and we continue to do. Uh, Today, my guest is Kevin Yuen, a higher education professional, also in pursuit of his PhD. Um, And I thought it would be so amazing to get his perspective on what he has studied um, from an academic to help us get a a better understanding of uh, the sort of the the social things that we're going through. Um, But also, he has a very special um, insight into how students are feeling these days and some of the ways that we can help. Uh, some of our friends, our, our cousins, our nephews, our nieces, our, our friends uh, really get through this. So, hey, Kevin, thank you so much for making time and joining us on the show today.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm looking forward to share my experiences, my personal experience, professional and um, just academically and what we're doing to combat um, the current um, xenophobia and racism within COVID-19 or how, and also supporting students in this tough situation right now.
0: Thank you. I, I, I'm really excited to learn. Um, let, let's start. Let's go back. A, you know, um, a few years, and and start with the early years of uh, Kevin's upbringing. Um, how did the Nguyen family um, come to America? Where did you guys land initially? And then tell yeah. us a little bit about those earlier years.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, so my mom, my mom's family immigrated to um, first initially Minnesota in 1975. Right. Right, a few days before the fall of Saigon, so it's really interesting of hearing their perspective of how um, my my mom and her family immigrated to Minnesota, and they were sponsored by a church, and they had um, got really um, got a good amount of support um, throughout those times, and they had worked in Minnesota and was raised was raising um, pretty much. My mom had have eight siblings. So a lot of siblings and um, my grandfather and my grandmother raised and just really seeing uh, from my mom's per- perspective, she had uh, finished high school in Vietnam. So she had to um, work and support the family um, while also my grandparents working too. Cause that's kind of like the requirement when you have, when you're immigrating and that process of within the house is either if you have finished like high school, either um, you're working or um, some way to support the family and such. So my mom was working at the same time while some of um, her siblings was still going to school and such. Also from my um, my, my mom and my dad had met here in California. So um, so my father's side, my father had um, came over roughly in the second wave in 1980s. So really both two different stories. My mom had came over here more in um kind of the um the airplane and was going through a smooth process with that process but my dad had came over by boat so really first going through going to boat to the philippines then once get to the philippines had gone to um california and my dad was fortunate that his um oldest um sister my aunt had gone here um first and then was able to sponsor my my father and um once a few years after my mom and her family um, got used, to, like was um, in Minnesota, they really wanted to be in a place that's warmer. So, when in doubt, California. <laughs> um, so my uh, my mom and her family had came to California and really started um, living in California and such. And my dad was at the same time just kind of trying to go to school. So my dad had landed in California in Los Angeles. He was working and just grinding it out. at The same time, learning, trying to learn English, trying to go to community college, trying to learn and working and such. Kind of more in the late um, 1980s, um, my mom and my dad had met. They had first met in the mid-1980s. But then it didn't work out. But later on, they had met each other again in the late 80s. It was kind of, you know, in their early um, early 30s, and they felt it was ready to settle down. So that's how they got married and started a family. So my family is my parents and then me, my sister. And then um, my parents, they both did not finish um, college. So they just finished high school in Vietnam. But my parents had started um, had started college, but then there was so much obstacles, um, as I've learned, is the, the English barrier. So my parents, they're able to speak a little bit of English, but as I can see it, there's a lot of barriers within trying to learn a new language. And um, they had really tried their best to help support uh, me and my sister. And um, so my dad was more working in technician jobs, kind of supporting engineers. And my mom had work in various different jobs. My mom had first worked in the restaurant business um, and then also helped with um, sewing business. And then also my mom got a, um, a nail. So she's able to do nails too. So she did that for a little bit. And then after had work in more of uh, medical devices in assembling medical devices kind of really seeing my parents of working different jobs and really trying to help support um, the family and such. Um, So once um, my parents have started having uh, me and my sister, so my sister is two years older than me, and um, and I'm the youngest within the family. We've kind of bounced a little bit different areas within California. After uh, my parents had kind of started their life in L.A., we, they had moved a little bit to San Diego, and then I was in NorCal for a little bit in San Jose. And then a few, um, a few years after, right before I started first grade, um, my parents felt that it was time to go back to um, Orange County, because a lot of my family's in Orange County. Um, a lot of my father's family was in San Gabriel Valley. It's interesting getting perspective of understanding different communities of um, Little Saigon, but also the community in St. Gabriel Valley. So really learning both um, communities of it. Ever since first grade, I've always been in um, Orange County for most of my life. And I went to a high school that's predominantly uh, Vietnamese. So I went to La Quinta High School, which is roughly about, I would say, 60 to 65% Vietnamese. And if I open up the yearbook, I was looking at mm-hmm. the yearbook, it's roughly been 10 years um, since I graduated high school. So our 10-year reunion was planned, but with COVID-19, like really seeing how I was opening my yearbook and how the um, last names, New wins, like it runs over like two or three pages is how many new wins that we have and trans and such. So being in a high school, a lot of um, Vietnamese American, we can see is a lot of competitiveness within, um, within academia, but also, um, and also being so used to, to community because we're, it just kind of felt like a bubble to me when I was starting to go more schooling and such. So for most of my life, I've been so used to being around my community, my enclave and such. It's been really great. And it's really great community within it, but I felt later on, once I moved on to different positions, really seeing there's importance, diversity of really getting to know other people and such. With my um, high school career and such, I've learned that there's a certain point of competitiveness can really lead to um, not really beneficial to your growth. I've learned a lot of, for sure, experienced bullying when I was younger, for sure. I've experienced peer pressure um, when I was a little bit younger, too, And for sure, my peer pressure had led me, um, for example, in my last year of senior year, I was suspended from the high school I was at. And I was asked to go to different high school um, due to I made some different wrong choices, um, being peer pressure, trying to be part of the group. And it led me to be asked to go to another high school and graduate. So I was not able to graduate with the people i've been with majority of my k my k-12 career and i've learned that it was it was more of a it was a cheating scandal and for myself that i should not cheat anymore because it's not going to lead my development in college and such so it led me to learn my lesson in high school rather than now that's why i'm i really try to aim to be ethical my choices and whatever I'm doing, I've learned a lot of the stuff for sure I'll be talking about is like, like learning lessons, teachable moments, anything I've made mistakes on, I'm going to make it teachable moments. Um, so that's kind of led to me. And then for me, I didn't do so well in high school, I only got roughly like a 2.5 GPA, I didn't get into a lot of Cal States, UCs, any of that. So I went to Community College for for roughly about two two and a half years. Um, I was led to, from my parents, to do the majors that everyone wants to be, which is nursing, engineering, um, bio. Um, I started doing that for my first semester. Um, I did well, but I was not interested in those type of fields, and it led me to um, do communication studies. And Mm -hmm. I was really fascinated with the way of communicating and such. Cause for myself, um, when I was younger, I was, um, very meek. I was very introverted and, um, also kind of like get me out of my shell. Um, and also what I was doing was I was competing in speech and debate and such really led me to who I am today. And also, um, When I was in community college, it kind of started my higher education professional career. I started my career working as a work-study student and then in admissions or records. And then I started really liking helping students and providing that path. And I learned a lot of stuff on my way because my parents didn't, they went a little bit of college, but not as much in depth. So I had to learn a lot on my own, me and my sister, learning myself that I was able to gain those skills to help future students. And then and I didn't realize that it was like a career. So I just kept doing what I was doing. Once I transferred to Cal State Long Beach, I continued my studies while working. So really been been just balancing working schooling. Um, I just think it's just a very normal process um, for me. Um, and then once I finished my bachelor's degree, I just didn't know if I wanted to continue um, do I want to teach in communication studies or pursue um, a more in a career in higher education? But I wanted to pursue continue a career in higher education. So I did my master's in counseling with the higher ed emphasis because um, for myself, I wanted to get, attain more skills, which is in counseling, because I think it's very important Within our, um, within kind of within our community, I feel like mental health is kind of a taboo topic um, or something that my parents said, why do you need to talk to a counselor about it or any trained professional because you don't have an issue. But like, it sounds like it's very like you want to be very, um, very reactive in a situation if you if you have like experienced some issues of maybe mental distress and such but i'm all about being proactive in anything i'm doing like if i'm it's important to before you hit that mental breakdown and then that was able to so during my um my master's degree you know it was very important for us when we we're studying for counseling is to go and try to do counseling and meet with um, a trained mental health professional, and that's what I did. So, it really helped me really dig in and really explore what had happened from when I was younger. And really, was there any unresolved issues? Because I feel like a lot of us have unresolved issues that we have never ever talked about and and talk about and really and really like resolve. Like, was there any issues that we have now that? We have experience, like, is there issues of abandonment? Is there issues of self-esteem issues? I'm like, that's now, so it's important. I always usually always like to look at the past to really help resolve issues. And then that's something I've learned it is important to be reflective of my past to really fix on whatever I need to work on. So it really opened my eyes to really look at that. And then for me, I always try to advocate for mental health. Um, when, I, um, when I try to help advise students when I was a counselor. And then once I was in my um, master's program, I also was offered a full-time position at um, a community college, um, Cypress College. I was a coordinator to oversee a program that supports low-income students and first generation. So within that program, I helped support a lot of low-income students, a lot of Asian American students who were low-income um, and also different students um, who are um, Hispanic, um, who are uh, Middle East, just from different, different areas. But also I was able to immerse in areas of um, foster youth. I was able to mm-hmm. understand undocumented students more. So really understanding uh, different struggles, because I feel like when I was younger, as being um, Asian American, Vietnamese American, I think a lot of our um Really seeing for myself like a lot of our parents doesn't show the issues that they had maybe financially um or any type of assistance that they got because i felt like everything was totally fine um but i've learned that that it was a privilege that i didn't experience that but it's important for me that i need to acknowledge my privilege but also acknowledge that it's important to support others and um and try to be the best i can to support Um, For it, and it really reflected for me how um, to be really open the best I can to support others, and it really opened my eyes to really show that there's a lot of support systems available for students to be helpful. Um, A lot of public assistance, but also in the campus assistance too. And then once I slowly transitioned, um, I did I did some academic counseling. So I did some academic counseling at Saint Anna College. So Saint Anna College has a huge diverse community of um, um, Latino and also um, Asian American students. And it really um, was really great in advising students in the whole process of um, a lot of students for first generation, um, college students. I was really helpful of that. And then it led me to um, a position at UC Irvine. I was a counselor for computer science students. So I had a really great time at UC Irvine it really um, was, I was really crazy seeing the diversity within um, the campus, but also seeing computer science, how it's such a rise within the career. The career is such a rise, but then also seeing how students can be so stressful within the major. Um, students are coding night and day a lot of hours, and I can see the mental toll within students. Um, And then the one thing that I've learned from um, students is that sometimes they um, have not been really open about how they're feeling and they want to power through, but I can still see the stress in them. And the one thing I've learned um, is some students would take sometimes 20 units, 22 units. I'm like, that's crazy. Um, And students sometimes want to be done due to financial reasons, but also... Also, I consider students would want the college experience, really being immersed in the, in the college, but also um, trying to make connections within other, with other students and such. Um, and at the same time, um, I really got to see students really help them, support them in a lot of issues. Um, so at UCI, when I was working there, there is um, two to three social workers that can help students throughout the process Um, When I was in my previous institutions I worked at, I didn't see social workers, and I see social workers are a very important process in helping students with maybe um, with different outside um, assistance, but also with the campus to help navigate some things and also can help case-manage students. But also, that's not enough caseworkers, social workers, there's only two to three social workers for a campus, that's roughly about maybe 20,000, 25,000, 30,000 students um, for graduate and undergrad students. So you can see there's not enough assistance and also the overloaded um, amount of when they go to the counseling center, too. There's not enough counselors available, too, for it, too. So we try to usually refer to social work, so, uh, social workers. And, um, and then that's kind of really seeing some of the obstacles that we do see. Um, And then um, while I was working at UC Irvine, um, I always had an inkling or a uh, motivation to do my PhD. So um, I was really passionate throughout my whole um, career. My graduate program was to look at Asian American professionals or leaders because there's never enough. Um, When I really reflected back in my master's program, I'm like thinking about all the places I worked at. I'm like, there's, I don't see any managers, deans, vice presidents or presidents who are um, Asian Americans. And I'm like, how come, how come? I don't really see that much. <laughs> and then I learned more about different conceptual um, theories and myths. So I learned about the bamboo ceiling. I learned a lot of the model minority myth. So I can really see the huge impact, how those two, um, those two concepts really led to obstacles within professionals. And it really, when I learned about the model minority myth, I really reflected back in my K-12 experience. I'm like, I didn't get that much support from my, my teachers during my K-12, um, because they had the assumption that, that I didn't need any assistance and such. Um, So I really saw the huge impact uh, of those two, um, the myth and the bamboo ceiling and such. So I really, and then, and then for me, really seeing that how, like, we're, we're the model minority, which, which we aren't. (laughs) Um, And kind of led me to kind of continue doing my research interests in, in the field. So I'm doing a lot of um, studying right now, but also doing starting up a few research um, um, studies right now. So for myself, um, I'm taking an Asian American studies class right now within my graduate program. So I'm doing my PhD at Claremont Graduate University in higher education. And um, right now I'm learning a lot immensely about Asian American history and such, Um, It's really great and interesting. Um, It was my first time taking Asian American um, studies, history classes, and really seeing how our history was really um, a lot on agriculture. I didn't realize how agriculture, how a lot of different communities was doing agriculture. Really learning how some Asian American communities have been here even around the same time in the colonial times too really seeing, understanding that, that it wasn't, um, kind of, um, more recent, but a lot of them has been earlier. And I didn't realize about that. What I've also learned, um, doing my studies right now. So right now I'm doing a study right now on looking at the psychosocial and environmental factors that can influence the success of Asian American leaders in higher education. So myself, I want to see what factors have made them successful even though there is so many um, obstacles they have gone through but what has worked and for me i've done so much um, literature reviews and, and in experience and studies from looking at previous studies i've learned that mentorship is very important mentorship is very important in um, supporting um, other asian americans because i feel like the concept of mentorship was never huge when i was when i was younger And I learned that mentorship was very huge, um, when I was in graduate school and I always try to find different mentors. Um, even, even though they, even if it's not Asian American mentors, I try to find different mentors that can be helping to give a different perspective. And, um, and then I'm very, um, and that's how some things I've learned about that. And also trying to do different ways of, um, learning how to, um, just be part of different communities um, is very important to establishing the community and really uh, helping, supporting each other. I've learned about that. And there's still some more things I need to study on, but those are some initial things I found wasn't very important. Um, so I'm doing my study. I'm pl- I'm ho- I was hoping to do it this summer, but I might have to change it maybe more in the end of this, end of this year to get enough participants for my study. Currently right now, um, I, my position right now is I'm a student data specialist at Wheatier College. So um, I just started the position three, four weeks. So right before COVID-19. Um, so I had done a lot of experience in student interaction and um, I wanted to transition more in um, the back end within, um, within higher education. So looking for data analysis work, um, how to support students and really help with the b- reporting process within our data. Cause I feel like our data is not the most accurate data um, within um, the importance of this aggregated data. Um, so that's kind of the, the way of doing things. And right now um, I'm trying to help support students in the registration process or different ways to help su- um, support students at Wheater College in um, helping throughout this current situation with COVID-19. But, yep. Yeah. Talk
0: to me more about what you're hearing from students. Um, you have a front row seat to what students are thinking, what they're talking about. You also have classmates in the graduate program, and I'm sure you have friends and colleagues from various campuses that you've had the pleasure of working at. And uh, in sp- in speaking specifically to and about Asian American students, yeah. Um, give us some thoughts on how we can positively deal and make sense of all this hate and sure. uh, xenophobia, racism towards sure.
1: us? Sure. Um, I think right now um, for for us, what we're trying to do is we're trying to reduce the amount of stress within our students. So they, a lot of institutions are trying to do is um, offer students um, pass, no pass as a grade option um, versus doing a letter grade option, because I think it helps kind of reduced amount of student stress right now because a lot of classes are adjusting to online. And plus also um, faculty don't have enough time to really set up a proper way of teaching the class. So that's why I felt like implementing a pass no pass for right now can be really help anxiety for the student, but also can help with the instructor too, that that, you know, even though students are doing pass-no-pass no pass, and on on their end teaching, like, you know, they'll try their best to adjust with the current situation. And then that's one thing that they're doing. Another thing that a lot of um, institutions are doing, um, so I work on the more the registrar side, is that we're planning or considering doing on the transcript is adding COVID-19 on the transcript. So for future um, wow. reference is this semester was due to the COVID-19 situation. So other um, institutions, like when they apply for graduate school or or med school, oh, understanding like this situation is due to this and that's why maybe they did a pass, no pass. So maybe that that can give a little bit wiggle room and leeway for students. Um, So that's another thing that the institution's doing. Um, The hard thing that is hard to see right now is a lot of commencement is canceling. Or postponing, So really seeing a lot of students is hard thing is um, this might be the only opportunity for some students um, to graduate and their parents to see their child graduate and the um, commencement is canceling. So some some schools are trying to do a virtual commencement, um, different ways to still do it. Um, another thing. Um, that I've talked in my classes about racism, and xenophobia, um, what we've been doing as, um, for myself as a professional, um, I'm part of different associations. So for myself, I'm part of uh, NASPA, which is like more of a national student affairs association. Um, so we do a little bit of community space. So um, so they try to lead um, different Zoom meetings to, to really vent what we're going through. Like, how are we combating um with this current situation with COVID-19, but also sharing, like, have you had any experiences of um, xenophobia or racism currently right now? Um, So I have like gotten a lot, a few stories, some students um, and some professionals from the East coast, for sure, a lot of more experiences, maybe a little bit compared to California um, for it and just trying to be supporting of it. And then, we're doing a lot more trying to do more zoom interaction the best as we can to try to commute community. Cause I know right now it's a lot of isolation. <laughs> so oh, yeah. I really try to do, we try to do a lot of different things. Um, and then I think heart, I think I do see some places are offering online counseling a little bit, tele um, teleconference, telehealth as another way of to approaching it um but the hard thing i would say is that to really combat it it's it's very hard because the rhetoric is going all the way from the top from the president of the of the united states all the way down um and i think um i think for us for me personally i think it's just having a community support each other but also a way to um a way to report these um these issues like if it's right. going on on campus i'm like you gotta throw, go through proper channels to report it and that's something that that we shouldn't condone this type of behavior right um and the hard thing um i think they're trying to do different ways supporting students um is technology because i we've learned that technology it really um creates a class divide um, with this setup with online classes, for sure, right. students maybe in the, the middle to higher class, it's more, they'll be, like, they'll be more able, successful. So a lot of colleges are offering um, Chromebooks, they're offering um, um, hotspots for students um, for the time being. So it does help a little bit, um, but it's just hard that, like, it's not just technology, but also space. So sometimes school offers a sanctuary for students um for that space to learn but also maybe a lot of um noise that is at home right so that's the hard thing with um with this current everything because i'm like everything is going in and is in the house like sometimes like um i've had um some of my classmates like oh i'm like some of them are k-12 teachers they're trying to teach And they're trying to take care of their children and also taking and then taking their classes. I'm like, it's everything at once. Um, So I think it's a huge um, balancing act right now. Like I think for myself, I haven't experienced that much. I haven't experienced like racism right now currently um, in this situation but I always try to do things I can to help support, um, the community best as I can. So one thing I try to do is I try to help support local businesses. Um, I try to order if I can, um, the local businesses, um, Asian American businesses, because I know I've been reading a lot on how some of the businesses are going down right now, um, due to the current, you know, COVID-19 situation, Mm -hmm. but also, um, everything's locked down. So I try my best to help support the business as best as I can and also um, help support different um, fundraisers, different nonprofits in this situation. Um, and because really seeing the heart, huge increase in unemployment is, is gigantic. And um, and then I'm, I got to do my part to help assist right. um, as much businesses to kind of reduce the amount of unemployment as best I can, um, and then try to help kind of hang in there. But yeah.
0: So you mentioned a little bit earlier and about the lack of diversity that you see within your industry, within, uh, definitely the higher levels of higher education. Yeah. It's certainly something we see also in the, in the private sector where the, to use a higher academic um, analogy you know, the administration, especially at the higher levels, it's a fundamental question of, do you believe that that diversity should be reflected in the student population? Or I guess the reverse, should the student population be reflected in the decision-making bodies of schools? Um, Right now, the answer is unfortunately not. And it is at the community school level, it is at the um, K through 12 level, it is also at the you know, four year plus graduate school level, It it's just seems to be in academia overall, a big disparity between who's paying the tuition and then who yeah. is dictating not only the academic curriculum, but some of the policies. And as, as we talk about, let's say a racism incident gets reported to the administration, how do they handle it? Who's taking it? What kind of experiences and empathy are they responding with? Um, Share with us one thing that you'd like to share with the listeners on why it is more, why you believe it is so important for somebody listening who might be interested in a career in student affairs or in higher education that that they choose to do so.
1: The reason um, why I think is really interesting and great to be part of this field is um, even though for me is really create a great example. I don't really, for myself, I don't see that much. When I was younger, I didn't really see much professionals um, like myself in in the shoes. And I think important to continue to pave the road. Um, for myself, I really want to really continue on. So my goal is to really move forward to, to um, director, dean and such, because I feel like the importance is we might need to continue in moving up to really create an example and a pathway for future professionals who are interested in it. Because I feel like if um, if you see others kind of at a stopping point, then it means that that's the ceiling. But we need to show and create future examples. And then I'm lucky and fortunate I've met others who I view as mentors, um, see them get to that point. And I really do want to continue that. And I think we're slowly getting there, but it still takes a time and a process within it. So for myself, it's kind of, um, I want to kind of help students kind of within the student population that I do represent, um, but also really help creating a path um, for others in the future to continue of it. And then for me, I'm someone that's very huge on um, mentorship. So I really try to help mentor future professionals. Um, so in my previous master program, I do see a few um, professionals who represent Asian Americans. So I really do my best to help support future ones to help pave the road because we, sometimes we never get that much support and I really do my best to help kind of along the way of it. So for me, the main reason just kind of paving the road for future others and then once others are doing the same thing then it kind of continues this path and you're
0: creating a road for others. But yeah. Yeah. I, I think hearing your story is, is so inspiring, um, obviously with the context of uh, your parents' journey to America, two separate paths, your your painful high school memory of, <laughs> uh, you know, having to pivot. And now obviously going from that yeah. um, to being a first-generation student and also in, in a few years being, you know, Dr. Kevin, which I think yeah. is something that is something to be immensely proud of. And I'm sure your, your family and your friends um and and I think that is inspiration to many other people, maybe in your shoes, maybe um you know, growing up in Orange county or have similar uh, life stories of how we ended up here um to know that it's possible and though to know that you know it can be in a field where you study us and you and you do it for a lot of people that look like us um i I do you know we we end the show in the same way that we end all of our shows, I guess. We end the show in one way, uh, which is to uh, go back to the title of this show, and it's Dear Asian Americans, uh, the impetus or the inspiration for the show really is to create a conversation um, for us, by us. um, And uh, so I want to start the letter, and if you would help us finish out the show uh, by finishing the letter, Dear Asian Americans. Dear Asian Americans, um, I
1: would want more others to continue the path of leadership representation for Asian Americans. So within representation, within, um, within Asian Americans and within leadership and continually um, support um, within our community as best as we can and continue sharing our stories and mentoring um, as much as we can from there.
0: Thanks, Kevin. I I think if we learn anything from your story, um, oftentimes we limit our belief of where we can go based on where we come from. Yeah. And you have proven to us and shown us uh, and then led by example that your background does not dictate your future. Where you come from does not dictate where you can go. So thank you for doing all that you're doing. I think you lead by example. I think you lead through uh, living it on a day-to-day basis. And I, I cannot wait to hear more from you, um, about all the work you're doing. Um, and I do think that, you know, students, whether they're in high school or in college, um, very, very vulnerable years. And, and aside from, um, you know, uh, just in general, um, aside from race-based or identity duality of being an Asian American, it's just a tough time to figure out what the heck you want to be and how you're supposed to feel and, and dealing with parents and all these emotions. So, uh, really glad that we have people like you to help guide some of our students and to also help fellow peers along. So Kevin, thank you for your time. Uh, Continue to do what you do. I'm very grateful that you made time for us today and being a a beacon of light and an inspiration point for many, many in the higher education space.
1: Thank you very much and hope our viewers um, stay healthy, stay safe, and we're all of us are going to get through this. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you.
0: It's great to talk to Kevin, hear his unlikely story of his parents coming over here uh, on two different circumstances and really having him pursue the academic dreams that his parents never got a chance to do so, all the way to his PhD degree, all the while helping students navigate the tough and challenging world that is higher education, especially for those in our community who are first generation or come from lower income communities. So thanks to Kevin and all the other amazing people who work in education, all the way from early childhood. To the highest levels of graduate education. Thank you for doing all you're doing, especially now as we are in Teacher Appreciation Week here in the month of May. If you found Kevin's story relatable, inspirational, or fun, please consider sharing the episode with a friend or two. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't. At The Asian Americans on Facebook and Instagram, every single listen, follow, and like means so much to me. Thanks again for tuning in, and I wish you and your family all the health and happiness as we navigate these challenging times together. Thanks again. Hope to see you on the webinar on Thursday. This has been your host, Jerry Wan.